church family. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And we've, I told Brian before we started that we've been spoiled under his teaching. Um, and just with the amount of friends we've made here, uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to be here. And we've been edified in just being trained up for the ministry in such a uh, loving environment. So thank you so much. Tonight I wanted to talk about John chapter 6. I want to talk about John chapter 6 because it's specifically um, has meant, meant a lot to me in my own life. And I'm going to be taking from verse 66 through 69 as my passage. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. The text reads, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Um, if, if, you, if I have had the privilege of knowing you, you may uh, know that within about five minutes, the, um, the conversation gets to sports. I like sports because it's a really easy way to make friends with people and to josh around and kid around with people and, and really make relationships. Um, so I, I like to have those conversations with people. I love to talk about sports. I love um, to talk about leaders. And I think uh, sports develop leaders. Uh, in the military, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet two just really compelling leaders with fire in their eyes and vision that they can force people by will of personality to go along with them, right? And so sports also provides that venue where you get to see that and you get to see someone leading somebody, doing something that otherwise they wouldn't do by themselves. Um, and um, if I've talked to you for more than five minutes, it's probably come up that me and my wife are from Michigan. And so we're, we're big Michigan fans. And now, before you're thinking, okay, look, this is Kentucky, so what are you talking about Michigan for? Um, in Michigan, there's a point, I promise. Um, <clears throat> we have one famous coach that we always go back to when we talk about coaches in Michigan football, right? And his name is Bo Schembechler, right? Now, my wife does not come from a very sports-oriented family. So before we got married, I mentioned the name, and she said, who? And I said, oh, we got to fix this. So we actually had to sit down, and she had to listen to one of the major speeches that Bo Schembechler gave to the team for Michigan. But when Bo Schembechler first came to uh, coach from Michigan, it was 1969, and it wasn't, they weren't a powerhouse team. It wasn't a powerful team. They were actually really mediocre. And so he comes in, and he comes in with fire in his eyes, and he comes in with an intensity that, that they hadn't seen before, and he promised them, you're going to work harder than you've ever worked before, and you're going to practice longer than you've ever practiced before, and you know what? You're going to give more than you thought you could possibly give. And he was true to his word, and over the course of that, that, that opening practice, those opening practices, a lot of guys started dropping out and said, you know what? I don't need this. I, I didn't sign up for this. You weren't the coach when I first signed on. I don't need this. And so finally he called, a, he called a timeout from practice, and he brought the guys in, and he looked around, and he, he, he looked in each one of them in the eyes, and he said, men, those who stay will be champions. Those who stay will be champions. He didn't promise an easy road. He didn't promise that there are going to be less practices or less working out, but he said those who stay will be, practices, or will be champions. And he was true to his word. 
every class that came in to play for him won at least one Big Ten championship. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about in John chapter 6, because we're going to talk about a leader, and we're going to talk about followers, right? So just to give you the background to 66, because there's obviously a big chapter, right? And there's a lot that I'm, I'm kind of moving forward through, but there's, um, in John chapter 6, we see it begins with Jesus, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he feeds the 5,000 in a miraculous way that nobody could have comprehended. And we have, actually, in verse 14, the people saw this sign that he had done, and this, is, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, for a Jew, that would have meant something. For a Jew in the first century, they would have understood what was meant by the prophet. Right? It wasn't a prophet, it was the prophet. And he's pointing back to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses had promised that a greater prophet would come than himself. And so they're like, this must be it. This is him. This may also be the Messiah. And so they actually want to take him by force and make him king. They want to overthrow the power of the Romans. They want to install him as the Messiah who is going to save them from all of their problems that they had seen. And so from the very get-go, the Apostle John sets the stage for Jesus as the greater Moses. He is the prophet that Moses foretold. He has fed the 5,000 just as Moses had prayed and manna had come from heaven. Jesus, where Moses had parted the Red Sea for the people to walk through, Jesus actually walks on the water. And then we get to verse 22. And at this point, Jesus is on the other side of the sea. But these people who have seen these great things and think he is the Messiah, he is the prophet, he is the one who is to come, and he's going to rid us of the Romans, and we're going to be a great powerhouse of a nation again. Right? They come and they follow him over to the other side of the sea. And they hear something that they were not expecting. Because they start asking him if he is the one. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, that's not exactly the most um, friendly way to start a conversation, which is basically you're following me because I gave you food and you want another meal. right? But Jesus continues, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. And then skipping down to verse 29, Jesus answered, This is the work of God that you believe in him of whom you have sent. And so he is telling them that there is this bread of life, right? Moses gave you bread. They, they say, well, Moses gave us bread, right, in the wilderness. And Jesus goes, actually, God gave you bread in, in the wilderness. Moses prayed. God provided. Now God has provided even a newer bread. And the only reason you're following me is not because you saw a sign and not even really because you want the prophet because you don't know what that means. What you're following me for is you want another meal. You want me to do what you want me to do. Right? And Jesus is making it clear, I'm here to fulfill the purposes of God the Father. And I am that great prophet, but I'm not here exactly in the same way that you understood. And the first thing you have to do is believe in the one whom God has sent. And he says to them, I am the bread of life. Right? And he, he actually goes very, very articulate into this metaphor where he tells them right, that you have to feed on me. You have to my flesh is, is, is bread, and my blood is, is drink. You have to drink me. You have to eat me. And he's making the point, I think John Piper says it best, that Jesus came primarily to be bread and not simply to give bread. Jesus came primarily to be bread and not simply to give bread. We see that they wanted something from the prophet. They had their own 
preconceptions about who God was and what he would give to them. And yet Jesus comes and says, that's not your main priority, or at least it shouldn't be, and that's not your main need. Your main need is for me. And you, you receive me through faith. You receive me through belief. Now, just, just to clarify here, Jesus is not actually calling them to be cannibals and eat them, right? If, if you've seen the Willy Wonka movie, that's cannibalism, and it's frowned upon in most societies, right? He's not actually calling them to eat them, but it's such um, a vivid analogy that it, it kind of throws them off. And in fact, he goes on and says, by the way, the only way you come to me in faith, the only way you believe is if the Father draws you. Now, for a Jew who's been, who's been raised on the oracles of God, on the teaching of the Old Testament, who believes we are the chosen people, that we are God's people, and that we deserve this, that hits too close to home. Because what he's telling them is, it's not about you. And you can't get here by yourself. It's about me, and the only way you come to me is if the Father draws you, and if you believe on me in faith. So we find him making this point, but it's such a, um, a vivid point, it's such an offensive point that they really don't like the prophet that they're hearing talk. And just, just to be clear, we see it several times over. He says to look on the Son and believe. He's not actually talking about feeding on himself. This is a belief. This is a wholesale giving over of yourself to the one in whom you believe. It's a belief that simply is not simply mental assent, but a belief that continues and working out in your actions. It's a, it's a total giving over. Too often, um, in my own life, I want Jesus just about as much as I want some other things. That, that, that um, things in my life crowd out my need for Jesus. And my belief in Him, it, it, it's there, but God, you know, I, I, I just graduated, by the way, but you know, as I'm, I'm nearing finals, I'm like, God, I, I love you, but I need to put you to the side right now and put my devotional time to the side because I really got to get this homework done. And, and God, I, I really got to get this paper done so my, my prayer time can wait. But he calls us to wholesale obedience in everything. And we don't look to God simply to give me the A in my class or to get me through my class. But we look to Him to give us what we need. Too often, people look at Jesus like a genie in a bottle. And just like Aladdin, you rub the bottle and three wishes come out. That's, that's not what it is about. It's a blessing. There is a blessing to growing up in the church. Um, I, I grew up, I was saved at 17. Um, I spent a long time in the church. I spent a long time in a Christian school. I came in, a, in, a, in a, at least a home that the, the Christian truth was at least taught. Um, and there's a blessing to that. And I think everyone who, who recognizes that can, recon, or can, can admit that God does wondrous things through raising people up in the fear of the Lord. But this can be similar to the Jewish upbringing in the synagogue. These people had heard the Old Testament their entire lives. And in fact, most of them could have put us to shame with how much of the Old Testament they had memorized. And yet, there was still a need to personally come to Jesus. They had, been gro they had grown up with every advantage from the scriptures, every advantage of sitting and teaching under the word. But they wanted what they wanted, and they, it wasn't necessarily Jesus, primarily. There's a need to personally come to Jesus. You know, a couple months ago, a video came out 
online and it went viral. And it was these people who claimed to be Christians, and they were saying, I'm a Christian, and, and I, I, I went to church my entire life. I grew up in Awana. I went to Sunday school. I was a camp counselor and all these other things. But, and then they would, with that but, they would add, but I believe in this. Something that's completely contradictory to the entire uh, law of God in Scripture, right? And they continued. So I, I am a Christian, and I did all this, but I happen to um, like to get drunk and, and things like that. And it, it appears to me that the people who are saying, I'm a Christian, with giving with one hand, saying, yes, I am a follower of Christ, are taking back with the other hand. And I think too often we do that in our own lives. So we come to the point where Jesus has said, I am the only way that you need me more than anything else. And we can kind of understand why, you know, there is a need that the Jews understand, right? They're being occupied by the Romans. If someone, if we were being occupied by a foreign power, right, and someone came in and said, we, we were seeing people executed daily. We were seeing high taxes. We were seeing somebody in charge of us who we did not elect, right? And someone came in and said, you have a need, but it's not the need you think. I, my first response would probably be, I beg to differ. <laughs> I pretty much know what my need is, and we need to kill these people, and we need to get rid of them, okay? And yet, Jesus tells them there is a deeper need than that, and they don't like what they're hearing. And in fact, many of them stop following him. And so then Jesus turns to Peter. And he says, are you going to go away as well? He says the same thing to the disciples. Are you going to walk away as well? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the first thing we see in the, in the answer of Peter is that it is a desperate faith. The Christian faith is a desperate faith. You see it in Peter's answer. Lord, where else am I going to go? I got nowhere else to go. You must come to the point where you ask yourself, where else am I going to go, like Peter did. And let, let's be honest here, let's be upfront about this, that there, there are other options. There are other options that sometimes seem good. I think sometimes if we grew up in the church, we can sometimes forget that sin does seem like a good idea for a while. That it can be fun. But the Bible makes it clear that there's a way that seems right to man, to man but ultimately leads to death. Just, just as a really quick um, application of this in evangelism, um, in the past, I've, I've heard people talk, and one of the things that we ask people when we're trying to start a conversation, we're trying to do evangelism, is, um, hey, if you were to die today, uh, would you go to heaven or hell? And then, can you give me your reason? If you were to stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your answer? And that question, those questions actually assume a lot on the part of the person responding, right? They have to know what heaven and hell is. They have to know who God is, right? And we're starting to grow into a culture in which those questions aren't exactly guaranteed that they know the answers to those. Not everybody grew up in a Christian home. And in fact, with, with some people in my generation, um, they, they can think you're threatening them. Um, like, if you were to die today, and the question is, are you, are you planning on killing me? Are you threatening me? What's going on here? Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, one person put it forward that 
maybe a better way of phrasing that question is, what are you living for, and how is that working for you? Because there is a way that seems right to man, and there are people down that road, but ultimately it leads to death. And they may be getting to the point where they realize, I started at the wrong place, and I'm going to wind up in the wrong place. You must come to Jesus on his own terms, or you will never come at all. And I think that's, that's really potent, is that Peter recognizes, I got nowhere else to go. There's so many stories that are very similar to that very one in the Bible. Um, I'm sitting with my brother uh, a couple days ago, my kid brother, and because I'm in seminary, he thinks I'm the Bible answer man or something, so he keeps peppering me with questions. And so we're, we're get, we get to the woman with the issue of blood, right? And he comes to me and he says, so do you really think Jesus knew when she touched his garment that it was her? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he goes, but he asked who touched me. I'm like, and that, you have never asked a question that you didn't know the answer to? And he said, and I said, in fact, Matthew makes it clear. She, he knew exactly who she was. He said, then why she, he asked the question? And I think about it, and you recognize what Peter said, that the Bible was written for us uh, who have come later. Uh, These things were written down for us. I think what more potent of a message than a woman who's been beaten by time, been beaten by illness, who's had all of her money taken away from her, has probably been, um, you know, has given her money to real doctors, but has probably invested in quacks too, trying to get healed, and she can find no healing. And the one thing she, at, at the end of it all, when she has no money left, when it looks like there's no hope, and she sees Jesus, and she sees his compassion, and she sees his power, and she sees him walking by, and she, her thought to herself is, if I can only touch his garment. If I, can, if I can only touch his garment. How potent is that for us today? If you're here today, and you are being beaten down by illness, if you're being beaten down by sin, if you just... You know, you come here and you're like, I, I, I'm in church, but I don't feel like being here because I know I'm not a good person, right? Or if you're here and you've been beaten up by the people who love you the most, or who you love the most, and we say, come to the end of yourselves and turn to Christ. If you could just, by faith, touch the hem of his garment. That's the same faith that Peter has here. It's a desperate faith. It's a desperate faith that shows there's nothing else for me out there. That there are ways, but at the end, I know they don't work out. Peter had that same mindset when Jesus first came and called him. And what did he say? He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He recognized, I don't deserve to be here. But I got nowhere else to go, so he ends up following Jesus anyways. The second thing we see is that it is a vocal faith. It's a vocal faith that recognizes who Jesus is. You know, we must come to the end of ourselves, but we must also profess that. When we come to the end of ourselves, um, there is a time in which it's in your mind, but then it has to come out from your head and your heart, and you need to be able to confess who Jesus is. Jesus asked the question, do you want to go away as well? Now, John 2 has made it abundantly clear that Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He knows what's in your heart. He knew what was in Peter's heart. He knew what Peter's answer would be. But John 17 makes it clear that Jesus knew whom the Father had given to him, and he was not going to lose them, that he was going to hold on to them, that he was going to keep them from anything. And yet he still asked the question. And I think it's really important to note that Jesus asked the question more for Peter's sake than he does for Jesus' sake. Jesus asked the question because Peter needs to hear it confessed. 
Peter needs to hear in the midst of everybody turning away, I am going to stand because, Jesus, you are the only place I got to go. We need to confess this with our mouths in prayer. We need to confess this corporately as a church. That's one of the wonderful things about worship is that we are together confessing one another who Jesus is, who God is, and what he has done for us. I mean, think of, think of the encouragement it is to your brothers and sisters who may be struggling with sin, who may be struggling with the disease, who may be struggling with just the situations they find themselves on in life. When you get laid off from work, when you have no job, when you don't know where the next paycheck's going to come from, right? And you come into church and we, pro- we sing the promises of God, about the love of God, about how God takes care of his people. And you hear your voice joined with the people among you. It's an amazing thing. Confession of the faith, of vocal faith, is an important thing. We proclaim it to God. We proclaim it to ourselves. We proclaim it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we proclaim it to the world. So my question for you is this. Do your friends and family know that you are a Christian? Do your brothers and sisters, do they hear you confessing the truths of God's word with them? Do you encourage them? Do you recognize that when you sing, it's not just about you. It's about encouraging your brothers and sisters around you. Do you recognize that in your personal prayer life? Do you confess who Jesus is? Not only do you believe it, but do you confess it? It is a vocal faith. Here's another question. This one's a little closer to home. Does your life reflect it? You've confessed who Jesus is, but does your life reflect what you say, what you claim to believe? There's a lot of people out there who claim to believe in Jesus. And like I said, they see Jesus almost as a, a, um, a genie in a bottle. You know, I, again, I'm, I'm going to seminary, and sometimes people think that people in seminary, they've got to be so holy, they study the Bible all the time, and, and they've got to be... Uh, spiritually mature people. Um, but I've seen in several situations, friends of mine, very close friends, dear friends of mine, um, come to a place where they have vocally confessed who Jesus is and their life starts to get off that path and, and they finally come to a place where they recognize, you know what, I'm not at the end of myself and I actually have something else I want to do. And they go do it. And they walk away from the Lord. That thought keeps me up at night. And so my question to you is, does your life reflect it. Our belief is not simply something that remains in our head, but it warms our hearts, and then it, it shapes what we do with our hands. Right? Our belief doesn't simply stay in our head, it warms our hearts, and it shapes what we do with our hands. Peter's answer is not an easy one. In the midst of people deserting Christ, in the midst of the crowd going the other way, in the midst of them being very angry at who Jesus is, and who he claims to be, Peter stands and says, uh, Jesus, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. To get to Christ, the Christian must come to the end of themselves. And finally, the Christian faith, the faith that we see here demonstrated, this this concept that, that John keeps driving home about belief and faith ends with a courageous and a humble faith. It's humble because it's courageous because Peter has the gumption to get up and speak. It is a vocal faith, and sometimes saying something is not the easiest thing in the world. I just went to, um, just got, my wife just took me on a trip to Michigan, and we, we, she surprised me with tickets to the Michigan-Ohio State game. Now, I'm not going to talk about how that game ended, but um, we, were, we were there with some people that I've known for a very long time, and I've, I've always enjoyed their company, um, but my life is, is different now that I'm a Christian, and, and as we're t- sitting there tailgating, some people start telling jokes and start making comments. And you don't want to be the guy 
who, who is serious when someone tells an inappropriate joke, even though it is an appropriate joke. You want to be the guy who's, who's known for being funny, who's known for being a good friend and known for getting along with everybody, right? And then at, the, at that moment, I have, I have a decision to make. Am I going to be the guy who, who just goes with the crowd and makes the jokes? Or am I going to be the guy who, who stands, even though it's not popular, even though I know that the friend who invited me, his friends might come to him later and say, hey, look, we love you, but uh, let's, let's keep the crazy uh, religious people in our family <laughs> at home because we, we don't need that here because he's, he's ruining the mood. He's ruining the mood. And, and, and so we each have this time in our lives where we have to come to a place where it develops courage, where we recognize that Jesus is worthy of being praised and honored even though we might, there might be a backlash from our friends, from our family, and from the culture abroad. We come to a place where our courage is not based on ourselves, but based on who Jesus is and based on the fact that we have no hope outside of him, that we can't do anything else but stand for Christ, stand with his word. And then it's, it's a humble faith. It's a humble faith because Jesus has made it abundantly clear that your faith has nothing to do with you at all. He makes it abundantly clear you are not saved. You are not a Christian because you saw a better deal than everybody else or because you're smarter than everybody else. You are a Christian by the grace of God. You are a Christian because God loved you and saved you and you have no right to boast. You know, if you're on social media, you'll, you inevitably see people who, um, who are smart, who you wish would stand up for the faith and be, and be proud and be, proclaim the truth of God's word. And then you inevitably see people who are just like, please stop talking. Please. Because they're not there to proclaim the truth of God's word for the love of God. They're there to proclaim the truth because they want to win the argument. Because they want to show how smart they are. Because they just like to fight. There is a, there is, um, there is a desire in every man to be right, to win the fight. And here's my, here's my encouragement. I want you to have conversations with people. I want you to seek out people and reach them and be vocal with the gospel. But I want you to do that because you love God primarily and then because you love that person, not because you want to be right. Here's the thing. The Christian faith is a courageous faith because it's not grounded in who we are. It's grounded on who Christ is. And by the way, that destroys any right to pride. We have no right to it because Christ alone is our salvation. If we trust in Him, we find ourselves hidden in Him. We look to Christ for our salvation just like the woman with the, with the issue of blood, we seek to hold on to him. Like Peter here, who sees everybody else desert, and what does he say? I got nowhere else to go. Let us come to the end of ourselves and realize who Christ is. Does your life reflect it? Are you vocal with it? And is your faith grounded in humility and what Christ did and in courage and who Christ is? This would be my encouragement to you to this day. And just, just to close, I, I mentioned earlier that this message was really powerful for me because when I, I think I mentioned this to some people before but when I got to college I, I, I had been saved since I was 17 so for about a year there I was in a Christian bubble in which I was in a Christian church, I went to a Christian school, my teachers were Christians, my, my pastor was a Christian, my girlfriend was a Christian, um, my brother was a Christian uh, it was a great time of growth in my life but then I get go off to a secular university and I'm away from my church and I'm away from my school and I'm, my girlfriend breaks up with me, and I'm no longer with my twin brother who I've been with for my entire life, and I get to this point where I'm all by myself. And you know what? It 
it's not like back in high school where the teacher cared if I was a Christian or how I acted. And it's not like, well, my, my pastor's not there, so he doesn't see. Nobody cares. I can completely hit the reset button and be the complete biggest party dude you've ever seen in your entire life. And you know what? I had every opportunity to do it. People started coming to me and inviting me to do things with them. And I was, I was, I think it was God's grace that I was kind of shocked. I was, I was kind of scared by what they were suggesting. Um, and so I remember walking into my room, my dorm room. It was kind of like a prison cell. It was, it was terrible. But I go in there, and I, I, I open my Bible, and it winds up on John 6. And I sit there on my knees, and I'm like, God, I got nowhere else to go. I said, I see what they're doing, but it, it has no power over me because you've, you've changed me. I'm not the same guy I was at 16. I can't do this. We must all come to that place in our own life. We must all keep coming back to that place. I mentioned today, I'm not perfect. Right? During the finals week, I, I put aside my Bible, I put aside my prayer time, because I just wanted to get past. And I, I didn't recognize what the priority is. It doesn't, Jesus doesn't care so much if I pass my class so much as he cares if I'm faithful to him. And Jesus doesn't care how you do in the business world or at your job or in a relationship so much as he cares of how you are faithful to him. So this is a constant place we have to come back to. We have to realign ourselves and say, Lord, am I recognizing that there's nowhere else to go? Am I recognizing that you're worthy to be glorified even if it means I don't make friends with the people I want to make friends with? Even if it means people look at me weird. This is a constant place we have to continue to readjust our priorities and recognize we have nowhere else to go and Jesus is it. We constantly come to, for our pride to die, or we constantly come to derive strength at the King's name. And if you are here today and you have not, um, if you've not come to Christ, I would encourage you to come. You know, I mentioned earlier that Jesus is the greater Moses, and Moses was was the mouthpiece for God to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And Paul tells us, right, if you hear His voice today, do not harden your heart like those in the wilderness; they died. And even the miracles they saw did not keep them from walking away from God. If you are here today, turn to Christ. That is my encouragement to you. Come to the place where you come to the end of yourself. Come to the place where you have no choice but to speak the word of God. And come to the place where you derive courage from Him and where your, where your pride comes to die. That would be my encouragement today. And I'll, I'll just close this in prayer if that's okay. God, I thank you so much for what this text has meant to me. And I pray that it would resonate with the people here. I pray that you're, you would show yourself as beautiful and glorious. That, that the Jesus is Bible, the compassion of Jesus, who healed then, still heals today. Who was bread of life then, is still the bread of life today. Lord, would you do that for all of us? And would you help us to continually come back to you? In Christ's name.